So I think there is a current climate at the moment. And I think, you know, respectfully popular media is not really helping it along by, you know, statements like 100,000 jobs will be, will not exist by the year 2030 or whatever the case might be. I think what can help it along quite a bit is open conversation in an organization around what is our thinking pertaining to how we're going to incorporate technological advances in future. Because. Hello, and welcome to the Helping Organizations Thrive podcast. This is your host, Julian Roberts. I'm pleased to say that this podcast is brought to you in association with Lodge Court, who are experts in HR support. Are you worrying about employee performance, absences and leave? Are you struggling with attracting and retaining the best talent for your business? I personally know the people at Lodge Court and they can support you with every people issue you may face. So focus on what you do best and let Lodge Court deliver your HR support as an extension of your business with a tailored, flexible monthly routine package that is right for you and your people. Please do enjoy the episode. Welcome to Helping Organizations Thrive. Uh, today, I have the pleasure of Dr. Dieter Beldsman. Uh, good afternoon to you, Dieter. Hi, Julian. It's really great to be here with you, and thank you so much for hosting me. Yes, good to connect with you and good to have you on the, the show today. Uh, you're an award-winning uh, psychologist and HR executive, and you are the chief scientist at Academy to Innovate uh, HR. And um, we're going to be picking your experience, uh, your expertise uh, to explore the employer and employee chaining relationship uh, and the future of work. And certainly the last number of years that has been significantly been challenged. And um, we're going to give some thought to that and how as as organizations we can embrace that and move forward with that so before we get into that uh Dita, i'd like to ask you what do you love about what, what you do i think julian i'm going to describe it as in terms of that i get to be rocket fuel um and i think i need to describe just what does that mean for for a moment um i firmly believe all individuals teams organizations are on their own journey so in my description they are a rocket with a set destination where they want to go. And there's a whole bunch of mechanics that work in order to be able to get them there. And I've always seen my role in the work that I do as being the rocket fuel that powers that. So being in the background, making sure that all the pieces work. And I think it's a privilege with the type of work that I get to do, that I get to play a small part just in the journeys of organizations and, and individuals. So that's my description around rocket fuel and um, why I love what I do. Probably the first time I've heard somebody from HR describe it that way. That's brilliant. I love it. I love that uh, analogy of rocket fuel. I love the fact that you want to play a part and, and fuel other people to do what they want to do and uh, be, a, I guess, a facilitator and a, somebody who will empower and enable people. That That is fantastic. That's a great thing, great mission to have, great purpose to have. Um, now, we've had an interesting three years uh, mm. globally, and I'm sure you've had an interesting three years uh, within the world of HR and the, and the sort of the way work people work, flexible working, mm. remote working, a whole host of stuff that's been going on. And I, I just want to ask you from your perspective, what have been the biggest changes that you've seen in that relationship between employers and employees in this last sort of two, three years? So I think, Julian, there's a couple of things that I think has been significant shifts that we've seen. The first one is a lot of people have reflected on, but why do I work and where does work fit into my life? So I think a very big conversation, even moving away from things like work-life balance at the moment, is around work-life fit. So where does work fit into my life? What gives me purpose? What gives me meaning? Now, I think that's very much not only on the side of the individual, but on the organizational side, that's resulted in really this question pertaining to 
what are the jobs going to look like that we design? Is it meaningful for people? Does it deliver on what we need to as an organization? And I think that whole notion, almost call it the relationship we have with work, I think that's been you know quite a significant shift. I think the second one has definitely been in the sense of the technological changes that we've seen lately. And I think there's a lot of talk around, you know, what do jobs look like in the future? Will everybody still have jobs? What are the skills that I require? So I think at the moment there is a big reevaluation to say, how am I going to remain relevant um, in the workforce of the future? And then the third one is definitely the flexibility and autonomy that's come in, both from an organizational side and from an employee side. Those three things I think have influenced the relationship quite a bit in terms of who wants what and how do we compromise in terms of the employer-employee relationship because it is a relationship with two parties around the table and it can't swing and sway only towards the one side. That's not sustainable. And I think we've seen quite a lot of movement in that relationship over the past three, four years. Maybe during COVID, a bit more towards the employee-centric side. I think at the moment there's a lot of movements around um, organizations being you know, kind of very tight economic conditions. So a bit of shift and movement more towards saying, no, but hang on, there's certain decisions that we need to make. And those changes are all influencing what does this relationship look like and whether that's sustainable or not in the future. You're just sharing there almost the sort of balance of power, isn't it, whether it's employee and employer. And just by me saying that is probably not a helpful phrase, is it, in itself? Because then it shows someone's got power, therefore they're going to influence it, therefore they're going to use it and pass use it for unhealthy gains potentially is there a, is there a better way of thinking about that because I, I find that for me it just feels like it's was they're either winning or you're either losing and it feels a bit like one you know what i mean yeah but i think you've summarized it well because in the past i think it has been a power relationship i think there has been a lot of conversation around give and take sometimes too transactional in nature and I think it has to shift a lot more towards a trust-based collaborative conversation. And what that means is that there's wants and needs on both sides of the table. And how are we going to be in relationship with each other in order to make sure that that happens? And for me, that's a relationship of shared value and expectations. And that's where we need to get to. It's not one of power because that's an, it's a me and you type of relationship. When it's one of shared value and expectations built on trust, it's a us relationship. And I think that's where people need to start shifting towards because that's really where I think, you know, the rubber hits the road around our employee engagement and employee experiences. If we are able to say, what are the expectations we have of each other? What do I promise you? What do I promise in return? And can I deliver on that promise from both sides of the table? Um, I don't know if that's helpful, but I agree. The power relationship one implies somebody's winning and somebody's not. It's not about which party is winning. It's about how can we collectively move forward with a way that works on both sides of the table, even though we might have to make compromises. You know, it's not a wish list type of exercise. It is about realistically, what can I do? Realistically, what do I expect? And that's what we need to get right. Yeah, I think it's having that shared approach, that more collaborative approach. Because when you come together in a in that that, that way then hopefully the, the sum of the parts are greater than the individual components which is that synergistic you know sort of utopia of it all working well just just going back to that point you made on one of the challenges where you talked about um that sort of work-life fit where people have in the last mm. three years with with sort of furlough and time off and have and evaluated their lives a bit more and rediscovered their purpose or or, or got found what it was how as employers can we i guess work and enable i suppose messaging to create a place that 
can also attract people who have this sort of purpose? How, how do we get sort of that, that sort of fit? Because in, in essence, we're not going to get perfect fit because there'll always be slightly mm-hmm. misaligned. But how do we get that the best alignment that will create that, that will resonate, that will create a, a sense of excitement and wanting to work because they're excited about their purpose being fulfilled within this context of work? How, how can organizations help uh, employees with that? Well, I think there's there's two main avenues to explore here. The one is definitely around the way that we design work and how work takes place within the organization. So what I mean by that is I think in the past, some organizations have been very strict to say, you know, work is between this hour and this hour at this location, doing these types of things for these numbers of days. And that's a very prescriptive way of work. Now, the reality in some industries are that it is, that's what the work looks like. That's the nature of the work. But even in that context, I think organizations can sit down and say, how can we provide some choice to people in the sense of how they choose to work? And I'll give you a practical example. They're a retailer that we're currently busy with. They obviously have shift workers in terms of being having to be on location. So with the whole conversation pertaining to hybrid work, they said, can we not do you know, innovative rostering? Can we not do innovative ways that people still have the opportunity to choose that you know, if my purpose is very solidly tied towards family life, I still have the opportunity to potentially schedule my shifts in a way that I can spend time with family. If I'm driven by ambition, it's something else. So I think organizations need to start rethinking around how work actually takes place to bring in a lot more choice for people to be able to exercise around what work is going to look like. Importantly, that happens in the parameters of what is possible. And that kind of brings me to my second point where I think that what we don't do well at the moment, and especially in the employer brand space and employee value proposition space, is organizations being very crystal clear about what they can and what they can't do and what they can allow in terms of, you know, what work is going to look like for them going Mm -hmm. forward. I think there's some real conversations at the moment where you can't be everything to everybody else. So at least then be very clear on what you can be and what you can provide. So that for me is really important because we don't crystallize that expectation right up front. So when people choose to work for us, then all of a sudden they get disappointed the moment that they've joined and realized, ooh, hang on, the sales pitch in the employer brand wasn't that great when I'm now actually within the employee experience. So we have to align what we promise and what we deliver and our ability to deliver that. The second point I want to make is I think purpose looks different for everybody. And we need to acknowledge that purpose comes from who I am and the work I do. It comes from the organization I work with and what the organization stands for and can I align with the difference that we're making And then at a higher level, what happens outside of the organization? Do I find purpose in community? Do I find purpose in society? And I think organizations will have to start creating space for people to live out purpose in a different way because work looks different for people. And in their purpose story, work will fit in in different ways. You know, for me, I find a lot of purpose in my vocation. That might not be the same for you or the same for one of the listeners. You might find work as a means in order to live out your purpose in a different way. And I think we've started to realize that and we can help individuals understand and explore what does that look like for them so that we can match that up with what is available and possible in the organization. Yeah, just to add to that, the whole purpose piece, I think, you know, making sure the organization is purpose-driven as well mm. and, and in the first place because if you're not all purpose-driven, then you won't be able to sort of understand or align to other people's purposes. And I was speaking to one individual, an organization, they actually took them, most of the organization or his team through um, uh, Simon Sinek's book, I know, you know, discovering your why, the sort of uh, sort of process. So they all discovered their purpose. And that really obviously opened up 
there's a challenge with that because obviously you might suddenly go, oh, I want to be a, and it doesn't align with the company and then they're off. But actually it creates real meaning to why they were doing it and why they were in that place. And I remember, mm. you know, I was coaching an individual in a healthcare business and, you know, when she got clarity of her purpose, it completely aligned to what she was doing. And it, at the light bulb mm. moment made it even more energizing and engaging why she should be there. Uh, so I think that's, that's really important. Um, the challenge is obviously when we people are trying to recruit people, we tend to perhaps miss sell, oversell, <laughs> <laughs> make things up. And, you know, we get disappointed with that. It's almost that, you know, this is what mm-hmm. the company is. And then suddenly this, ha- without saying the obvious, how, how should we not do that? How's the best way of creating that alignment that what's internally is, is expressed externally as well? I think the first thing is you, you need to have a very clear definition of as an employer, who you are and what you stand for, as you've mentioned from not only a purpose point of view, but also around what you offer to employees. So what is it like really working for this organization? And I think there, you know, the best ways to do that is to explore and understand what the authentic narrative is, what you offer around what type of employer that you want to be and what are the proof points that you can put down to actually showcase that this is the type of experiences that we provide. So if I make a claim, and I say, you know, this is a, a great place to work because for you to grow your career, everybody here does challenging work and it's aspirational. My question to you as an organization is, show me where that happens. Are people moving around in your organization? Are they continuously developing? Do they have access to developmental opportunities? Um, do you redesign work according to challenging outcomes? And are you shifting people into more exposure-driven type of opportunities? So I think when we go outside, it is more about telling an authentic narrative around what it is like to work here as opposed to the thing that you think people want to hear. Now, that also then aligns very closely to the fact you need to understand the talent that you are speaking to. So you have to segment around what is talent, the talent that we want to attract, what do they care about, what do they need, what do they want from an employer, and is that something that we can authentically provide, and do we have those avenues and mechanisms in place? I said earlier, you can't be everything to everybody. So rather focus on for the talent that you want to attract to hit those two or three things that's really, really important for them. I'm obviously not talking about the hygiene factors. That has to be in place. Um, You know, that will detract from the experience or whether somebody wants to work for you or not. But my question always to people when I speak about this is, what are those three things that you want potential talent to think about you? And what are the three things that you want all your employees to say about you once they've been working in the organization? And that has to be an authentic narrative and an authentic story that you can back up with proof points. So how do we take an organization, and you work with organizations on that journey of making sure we are aligning without, you know, what what sort of things do we need to think about? And how does that sort of practically work out to make sure that every hiring manager is doing that and that? we're attracting the right talent that will potentially fit with our culture and, and what we can promise and, mm. and deliver on and all that sort of stuff. What, what's the sort of journey and the process we would go through in an organization? I think the first part is really a journey of self um, exploration around what are those things that are important to us. You know, I know a lot of organizations, you know, you spoke about being purpose driven and being values driven. They don't really spend enough time to really say, but what does that mean practically? It's not about the words on the wall. It's about how that translates into our behaviors. So I ask a lot of executive teams and leaders, what are your non-negotiables? Because culture is what I tolerate and what I resonate with in the organization, as well as what I celebrate in terms of what good looks like. So to help organizations go through that journey and explore, 
what are those three or four things that will guide our non-negotiables will guide every single decision that we make, you know, whether it's from hiring to whether we're investing in something, et cetera. So work with an organization to clarify those in a very, very simple way. That then has to be translated into when we make hiring decisions, how can we help hiring managers to look for those things as part of our hiring process? And whether that's through, you know, the interview process or assessments or other ways and hurdles that we put in place, it is important that those four things kind of filter through everything that we do. I find sometimes we go very in a in a sequential type of way when we think about talent. So I taste this little piece and then I taste that little piece and then I taste that little piece. You need three or four principles that kind of cuts across all those different elements that you can infuse in every moment that that employee is going to engage, or potential employee is going to engage with you in the organization. And then you have to start backing it up by putting in the mechanisms in place that the right behaviors get celebrated. The right things in the organization filters into the way we communicate and the way we talk. And that message you have to reinforce, 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 reinforce. You know, I've worked with a couple of CEOs and we always have this conversation to say, your first paragraph and your last paragraph of any communication or speech almost has to always speak to where we're going, the strategy side of things, the purpose, why we want to get there, and then how we will get there, which is these non-negotiables that I talk about. Whenever you speak to anyone in the organization, they need to be able to say that top of mind because that answers what we're about, what that looks like in practice, and why it matters. And I think those are the things that you have to help organizations with. For me, it is about finding that narrative. Um, and it takes time to do that and to do so in an authentic way and then start infusing mm. it um, into everything that we do. And that for me is you know, almost the organization finding its purpose and identity over time. That's the thing that they need to start working on a lot more. Yeah, I think that's really important because before you decide on what talent and expectations, you've got to almost know who you are first, isn't it? That's the first point of call, I think. And I think that go on that journey of, organizational self-discovery of your values yeah. and your your purpose or whatever it may be however you want to term it is is important what are the the obstacles from a leadership point of view of that going as you've just explained what, what gets in the way from from a people perspective i think there's a couple of things i mean i think the first one is obviously there will always be conflicting agendas within an organization and views and opinions so how can you get the beauty of the diversity around the table and the different views to actually start agreeing on what this is and what this looks like. You know, when I start talking about values and purpose and existence, how can I get people really aligned towards that? And I think that is a you know, journey of, of discovery for the individual leaders and then the collective leadership team together. So I think there's work there that does need to happen. I think the second part is every organization has got a history and there's good things and there's bad things in an organizational history and history will inform where we are now. So I don't just wake up one day once I've had a breakaway with the Exco team and I go back and say, employees, this is now who we are and what we stand for. I have to start ingraining and putting those things in so that there's proof points and evidence and real experiences that actually back that up. And very often that's difficult for leaders to get to because they struggle once they've had that conversation to translate that back into two or three tangible actions that they need to take and stories that they need to be able to support in the future. And I think that's so important for leaders because that gets in the way. You get so caught up in the definitions of certain things, how we mm. should position other things that we actually forget. It's only about making sure that the things that are important to us filter through and that we are in agreement about what those three things are. I might have a couple of other things that I also believe is important for me as a, as a leader in my own right, but as an organization, that's what we are and what we stand for. So I think it is about how do you let go of the past? 
how do you build a realistic and an authentic picture of now and how can you keep on enforcing and reinforcing that and help leaders in their own behavior and in their own actions uh, to bring that through and to foster that. You know, something else you and I've spoken about offline is that can only happen in a relationship of trust. If trust mm-hmm. is not in the organizational system, it doesn't really matter the promises I make because I'm not going to believe you. So any starting point for a journey of this is how do I build trust into the culture of the organization, which means that there's a belief that we've got the best intent of both parties at heart, which brings us back to that employee relationship that needs to be managed proactively um, and remain healthy within the organization. And uh, how do we know in our organization on, on that trust that we haven't got the level of trust we would anticipate we think's right what what are the things we need to look out for or observe in our people in ourselves that trust is perhaps a bit low or low in our expectations yeah i think the first one is you know if people are fearful of really saying what they think in an organization and really expressing their discontent because they are worried about the consequences that's a you know, a big red light in terms of saying that trust is not evident in the organization. So I think, you know, if there's a culture of fear that's within the organization, I think if there's no consequence in an organization when things go wrong, that's also a sign that the trust levels are not there because things start getting hidden within the organization. We don't bring Mm -hmm. things to the fore to say, let's make it visible. You know, we made a mistake. Let's move on. Let's go forward. So I think those are some of the things to look forward to. And as well as on the other side, you will start seeing it in things like employee engagement going down. You will start seeing it, you know, I think, and there's a, a couple of really good stories in organizations where people have hidden things from leaders for the fear of what it's going to do, you know, for the longer term of the organization. All those signs, the moment people are not authentic or transparent or don't want to speak up um, or are fearful of what the consequences are going to be if they don't fit in um, in what is being promoted as what success needs to look like. You know, those for me are warning signs. And people need to be able to show up authentically because if you show up authentically, you can really belong um, in the context of that organization. Otherwise, you know, you're not being uh, your true self at work. I mean, the trust is at the, the core of all this because obviously we're talking about mm. you know, that employee and employer relationship and the relationship is based on trust. You know, if an employer says this and delivers on it, then that obviously builds trust. If it doesn't deliver on that, then trust is lost. Mm. Um, how do we, you know, how do we then continue to build trust? Because, you know, it's, I guess in some ways we're talking about psychological safety here as well as elements mm. of uh, trust sort of uh, framework of, you know, people have been able to sort of challenge and fail and all those sort of stuff. Again, we know that perhaps our organization is a little bit low on trust. What sort of things do we need to think about to consider to try and build that? I think, you know, you've mentioned that, Julian, is the trust for me has always been like a bit of a bank account. So you, there's certain tough things that happen in an organization with, which withdraws trust out of the, the account. And then there's certain things that we can do that deposits trust back into the account. And I think it is really about the small culmination of things over time. So you've already mentioned the one. If we say something's going to happen, something then needs to happen and it needs to follow through. The second one is we need to be transparent about the decisions we make and why we make them, even though it might be a difficult decision that's not the popular decision that employees would have Mm. expected. It does sit in the fact that leaders are visible and they show up because that builds and breeds trust. People want to be able to understand. And that's not about, you know, having a a walk by managing type of leadership style. It's not that. It's leaders showing up and leaders having a voice and being very clear, then also helping leaders and the organizations to say what they stand for. You know, there's a lot of good research coming out that tells us employee activism is on the rise because people want to work for a company that has a voice and that stands for something. Mm-hmm. Um, and those things, I believe, builds trust. So it's do I deliver on the promises that I make 
Am I visible? Do I know you a little bit better in terms of what's important for you? Um, and are you consistent over time? Because consistency is key in building trust. Can I come back to you and you're always going to be the same? Or can I at least have an understanding of the parameters within our relationship, you know, that guides the decisions that we make? And that's very, very important. And you mentioned earlier about uh, one of the impacts uh, over the last few years is is, is tech, uh, technology. I guess you've got AI into all that. And, mm -hmm. and there's, a, there's a sense of perhaps people getting concerned uh, of how that might impact uh, people. How is that affecting this employer-employee relationship? And, and what role do you see it in, in playing in, in the future of work? So I think there is a current climate at the moment. And I think you know, respectfully popular media is not really helping it along by, you know, statements like 100,000 jobs will be, will not exist by the year 2030 or whatever the case might be. I think what can help it along quite a bit is open conversation in an organization around what is our thinking pertaining to how we're going to incorporate technological advances in future. Because the only way that we're going to alleviate the fear is to help people understand what is going to happen and what is the plan going to be in terms of things like upskilling, reskilling, et cetera. And I think it is about also helping people understand that it's not only an organizational responsibility, but there's also individual responsibility about you looking after your own development to remain relevant in the context of what we can provide as an organization. So technology is real. We need to talk about it. We need to talk about what the impact is going to be. And we also need to talk about the fact that will work look different in future? Most definitely. Will it mean that there's no opportunities in future? Definitely not. There's going to be different opportunities than what there is today. And how can we help people actually embrace that and see that as something to work towards, as opposed to the sense of loss that everybody is kind of quoting at the moment to say, we will lose jobs, you will lose your livelihood. I don't think that's necessarily the, the case. I think the conversation is a little bit more complex than that, but we also need to show people the hope side. Um, what is it that you can do differently? What is going to be different in future? And that can only happen, you know, as you've mentioned, in this in a conversation that is continuous and a dialogue that's ever evolving between mm -hmm. the employer and employees. Because if we stop speaking to each other, that's a real sign of trouble for the future. Yeah, and obviously looking ahead, as you're as you're saying, you know, the, the doom and gloom of losing jobs, you know, it's almost the reframers, it's just jobs are going to be different as opposed yeah. to those jobs don't exist possibly but the new jobs created um and i guess having that i suppose just from final thought you might not be able to answer in, in one, one sort of question as it were but as organizations you know always look to plan their business in terms of how they're going to grow how should they start thinking about uh, their organizational uh, i suppose piece uh, what things they need to sort of consider in consideration of you know the sort of people's purpose and AI and um, as a whole flexible work and what things would just as a final thing really in terms of what people need as, as organizations need to go whether you are a 30 people up to a few thousand people mm. I think it's going to be really around also not just planning what the business growth is going to look like but planning what the workforce growth is going to look like so what does our workforce composition look like and what is the intentional culture that we want to create even as we scale and as we grow Culture is relatively easy when we're small because everybody knows everybody else and it's almost these unspoken rules that everybody is um, is aware of. When it starts growing out, we need to formalize that a little bit more. So organizations have to think about the people component and the workforce side of things and that will then lead into what we need to reskill, what we need to upskill, how we need to think about you know bringing new skill sets and how can technology and the human contribution contribute to each other. So I think there's some real work we need to do about the future design of work, what that's going to look like, 
And then, mm. you know, how do we implement the right culture that's going to make that a reality for us as the business grows? And what would be one watch out for HR leaders right now in terms of thinking on the future of work? What should they be watching out for? I think, and this might sound really, um, really obvious, but I think if there's not a conversation about what the impact of the future of work is, because I think some organizations are getting so caught up in dealing with the crisis of today and, you know, the rising inflation, cost of living crisis, et cetera, that we neglect to think what happens next, what happens just after this, because mm. it's not only about surviving the crisis, it's about surviving and then thriving in the world that comes just after. So for HR leaders, I think the biggest risk is if that conversation is not taking place. Um, and you have to start introducing that into the context of the organization and say, but we need to start thinking broader than this. We need to start thinking broader than only our organization, but also our contribution a little bit broader than where we are now. And I think that's such an important thing. HR's role in purpose and in sustainability and in what society is going to look like in, in future is going to be very, very important. And that's a different conversation than what we are having today. HR leaders need to have rocket fuel, don't they? Like yourself. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, definitely, I think there's a there's an opportunity. You know, I I'm such a passionate HR professional. There's so much opportunity for the profession at the moment around helping mm. this next chapter of work. Um, you know, for really for people and organisations to to prosper. Um, but it is going to require something different. Yeah, I, I think it's really exciting, and um, and I know it's just reframing something. A fearful unknown is sort of fearful, but actually, it can be really exciting. Some new adventure, new new paths, new ways of thinking. Um, I think that could be quite exciting to see how that unfolds and, and see what what develops. Uh, really appreciated your insights uh, today, um, uh, Dieter. Really appreciate that. Um, if people want to connect with you, get in touch with you, what's the best way of doing that? Um, via LinkedIn, I think will be the best. So feel free to invite me on LinkedIn. I also share quite a bit of the work that we are doing, um, pertaining to the future of work, future of HR. So that would be the best place. Excellent. Well, thank you for your time today. Much appreciated. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. And thanks for the invitation. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode. If you like this episode, then please rate, review, and share it with your friends and colleagues. As a coaching practice, I coach high-performing leaders and teams with extreme ambitions, and it will help you go beyond what you believe is possible. If this sounds like you, then let's have a conversation. You can contact me at julianrobertsconsulting.com.